Welcome to BNY Mellon Investment Management's Conversations On, a podcast series where each week we take a deep dive into some of the most pressing topics in financial markets today, featuring the views of our economists and fund managers. Across the world, central banks have played a key role in taking the sting out of the volatility that characterized markets in March. What opportunities has the central bank response created and how might investors act? In this podcast, Newton's Suzanne Hutchins and BNY Mellon Investment Management's Chief Economist, Shea McDar, give their thoughts. Hi, Suzanne. Lovely to speak to you, even if it's only remotely. I hope you're coping with lockdown okay. I think we're due to discuss central banks and sort of monetary policy and that sort of thing today. I get asked this question a lot, but I'd be really interested in what you think about it. How do you think the central banks have done today? Things were looking pretty ropey. What do you think they've done with the crisis so far? Well, I think that they've done as much as they possibly can do, certainly to support the financial system. And I guess, you know, since the GFC global financial crisis in 2008, you know, they've been prepared for more of a financial crisis. Um, And so by supporting asset markets in the way that they've done, I don't think there's much more they could have done apart from perhaps going out wholesale and and buying equities. So in terms of the financial markets, I think they've done all they possibly can. But it's the real economy that's where there's the dislocation and the challenge and that the money yet is still not feeding into the real economy. But obviously, that will take some time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think they did actually, you know, particularly the Fed were in that period in late March when things were looking really ropey. They just basically said, look, we'll supply you with as many dollars and as much cash as you'd like. I think that staved off, at least for now. I'm not saying they've they've done it completely, but for now they've staved off some kind of credit crunch or credit crisis. And I also agree that monetary policy isn't really the tool that's going to kind of get us out of this, really. So it's all about health policy and fiscal policy, I think, isn't it? That's totally what I would think. And I think that we were heading that way in any case prior to the COVID crisis. I mean, we always, you know, talked about a period of transition where I think most people agree that quantitative easing over the last decade hasn't really worked in terms of stimulating the real economy. You know, what it's done is raised or inflated financial asset prices and caused quite a misallocation of capital. So in our view, there was always uh, an expectation that more needed to be done. And, you know, we sort of thought along the lines of MMT, modern monetary theory, with a, a fiscal response combined with a monetary response. But we didn't really know what would be the accelerator to creating that sort of response from central banks. And the COVID crisis was really the thing that, you know, stimulated that response. Yeah. And again, I agree. I mean, you hear, you do hear that complaint a lot, don't you, that QE has, has basically not run its course in the sense that you couldn't do more, but it, but the marginal impact of every additional dollar or pound of QE seems to be uh, seems to be diminishing over time, had been diminishing over time. And when you get a shock like this, which isn't ultimately something that monetary policy can cure, then I agree, it seems like there are limits to what QE can, can achieve. Just to, just on that, do you, I mean, like, do you think that some of the unexpected consequences of QE, a lot of people talk about higher inequality and that sort of thing. Do you think that's 
this is set set to kind of worsen that or do you think people will be focused on other issues well i think that the the policy response and the significant amount of state intervention that we've seen at the moment i think it does exacerbate the situation between the haves and have nots and you know the fact that i mean the financial markets needed to be supported because that's the whole wealth effect and and if the financial markets had collapsed then you know the, the global economy would be in a much worse shape than it currently is and that's in spite of the covid crisis as well so i think for now trends continues where you do get that inequality but i think also on the other side of that, what this has exposed is what was already coming to the fore, you know, the social unrest and the fact that people haven't necessarily got the wherewithal to finance themselves, their health system, you know, get help. There is a big wealth divide. And I think with the policy through MMT, more fiscal response, some of that will be addressed. But I I do actually think that we are in a time of quite a big reset in many ways. So, you know, the fact that environmental, social and governance issues are coming even more to the fore, I think is a good thing. And that will drive the trends of financial markets going forward. And again, I agree. I mean, I think you're right that major economic shocks like this quite often are sort of turning points, aren't they, in the sort of social narrative and eventually in terms of policy as well. And I suspect you're right that ESG will take even more of a centre stage going forward. And and actually, we will get more active fiscal policy, I suspect, to try and address some of those inequality issues. We, we were already seeing that rising up the agenda before COVID-19 hit. And I think the experience of this may well just accelerate some of that. Moving on from the economic, and this is where, you know, I'm really interested in your expertise here because it's way ahead of mine on this question. But do you think there are particular opportunities that the crisis may well have opened up? You know, are there parts of the markets that you might expect to respond better than others? Are there, again, questions I get asked a lot are, you know, what, what, how do we invest our way through this? Yeah, I mean, when there's crisis, there's generally always opportunity and that volatility in markets is creating the opportunity. I think the one challenge that I have as an investor is, you know, you've got central banks that are effectively managing the markets. And the read through and all of this is that we've got debt monetization going on very, very low interest rates and QE that appears to be infinite, which is a a massive put or, you know, support for financial asset prices. And then the trouble is, on the other side of that, I'm quite torn because valuations generally across nearly all financial asset prices are pretty extended. Um, You know, equities, their P multiple now, is in excess of where we were back in February, given the fact that earnings have been downgraded quite substantially. So I think that it's very much an active stock pickers market. And I do think that there are certain companies that or certain types of businesses that will really benefit. And I think the strong do get stronger. And then companies that benefit from post 
COVID crisis, whether it's in the healthcare sector or whether it's in distribution, transportation. I mean, there's areas of the market I'd certainly would avoid, you know, particularly aviation. I mean, you just don't need to necessarily get involved in sort of deep value. But then those other asset classes, I think, are also interesting. So if you look at investment grade, you buy what the Fed's buying. I mean, you don't get a massive return, but you get a better return than you do on cash. I think there's areas like high yields that I think are going to be quite a troubled area to invest in. And I think it's the businesses that have got very stretched balance sheets and cash flow issues that ultimately will struggle as we come out of this crisis because they will struggle in terms of of cash flow generation, despite the amount of resource that's been, you know, thrown at the market. So I also think emerging markets ultimately will be great beneficiaries over the longer term because that is where the wealth effect is. That's where you've got the massive population and wealth effects. And, you know, in 10 years time, I certainly think that that is the place that investors will be well rewarded. That's interesting. So this is a buying opportunity in in a sense, or, or, or there might be a buying opportunity for a long term investment at some point soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think there's lots there. I'm torn as well. On the one hand, I can see good fundamental reasons why valuations ought to be higher than they were in the past, simply because, you know, real interest rates, you know, kind of the safe discount rate that we apply to to risky assets has fallen so dramatically and probably in negative territory in large parts of the world. On the other hand, the risk premium, which is the other bit of the discount rate, has it does seem to have fallen a bit too much given the uncertainty about where we go next on, on COVID-19. So I agree with you. I'm a little bit uncertain about equities in general, but I suspect you're absolutely right. There are huge stock and sector selection opportunities out there. And I think that's where a lot of the uh, additional value might be found going forward. Sadly, I think that's all we've got time for for now. But thanks again for joining me on this podcast. Thanks very much, Avek. I really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Conversations On, a podcast by BNY Mellon Investment Management. We hope you enjoyed the podcast, learn more about this topic, and hopefully have made your time working from home a bit easier. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you returning next time. Thank you.